Good morning, Salt City Church. My name is Drake. I am the director of the college ministry at the U of M around here. So uh, rocking the new Salt Company shirt for the year. Very excited to jump into this year. We got college students coming back. It's a great time of year. Okay, but here this morning, we are continuing and nearing the end of our time in Philippians. And so we've got this week and next. And this morning, I have the joy of preaching on the most coffee muggable verse you could ever think of, okay? We've got a, a verse that you've seen on so many cross-stitch canvases. You've probably seen it on Tim Tebow's face. Okay, we are doing I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And as we sit with this, I think we all know, okay, this is one, if not the most misinterpreted passages that we have heard about that people use to try to motivate themselves for some sort of self-assent to conquering some challenge ahead of them. And we see it a lot in sports, like you can tackle any sort of opponent that's before you. And actually, as I was talking to my wife Paige about this, she informed me that her high school volleyball shirts on the back, written right on it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And after every single huddle that they would break, they'd break it by saying all things. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, do you realize losing the game is under the umbrella of all things? Like a season-ending injury falls under the umbrella of all things. Or we see people use it in the grandest moments, like this miraculous comeback. And you just want to say, man, you're down 30, there's 10 seconds left. I think you can jot this one down in the L column, right? Like people try to use these to like stir them on to conquer these huge moments in life. But as we sit in this text, we need to realize that Paul isn't saying these words on an ascent to the top of the podium. He's saying it from a prison. And that should filter the way that we look at this passage. And I think it's important for us to check the lens that we have when we come to some of these huge promises of God. Like, I can do all things. Because there's so many big promises in Scripture that we can be, do harm to ourselves if we inter interpret them wrongly. So we think of things like, I can do all things, or all things work together for our good, or we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And how we interpret these verses can determine how we face life. But here's the thing, with some of these big promises of, of God, we are actually in the midst of an incredibly broken world as well. And so if we misinterpret these texts and collide that with a broken world that we experience hurt and shame, it can lead us to actually give up and walk away from the faith. And it has led many people to walk away from Christ. And so why does Paul persevere? Like, why does Paul, in the midst of difficulty, he actually presses on and he sends a letter of encouragement and love to other people while he's in chains? So I think it's important for us this morning as we can read this text and we can chuckle about all the different ways that it's been misinterpreted, we also need to realize that sometimes in doing so, we don't actually lean in to see the beauty that this passage holds. We don't let it shape us and we don't let it determine our steps. This passage speaks to something that every single person in the world longs for. This passage it is an invitation to something that's completely not of this world, but actually rather a glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of a way of life that we can start living now. 
that we can start experiencing little glimpses of heaven. And if we put this passage into practice, it'll change everything about how we go through life. So let's jump right in. We're going to do Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Starting verse 10. I, have, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, so I want to explain a little bit of what's happening in verses 10 and 11 here, because you can read this, and it kind of sounds like Paul is saying, thanks, but I didn't need it, okay? Kind of like a thanks, but no thanks. But actually, what he's doing as he gives his opening statement of how he rejoiced that now at length they've revived their concern, he's going to give a couple statements as he anticipates maybe objections or some things that people could say in response to his statement. So let's look closer at that. So the first objection that he's anticipating, he's going to combat, is when he says, I rejoice now at length that you have revived your concern. And what he's realizing that people might take that as Paul saying, wow, finally, you guys jumped on the train of supporting me. Like, finally, now at length, you guys have actually stepped up to the plate to help me in my ministry. But he's trying to combat against that by saying, no, you indeed were concerned for me. You just didn't have the opportunity. The second objection that he's knowing could be the case is that people think he's rejoicing that he has received money. That he is in this for the sake of the money, and he's actually rejoicing that finally they have paid their dues, and that other churches would begin paying their dues so he can just amount this wealth. And so he hears that, and he, uh, he raises a statement to that objection by saying, I'm not in this for the money, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And so he's saying the thankfulness that's in his heart, he's clarifying by saying it's not for the money, it's not that you guys finally jumped on, but I'm actually rejoicing that you guys have partnered with me in ministry. And then he explains why he is not in need, why that money didn't do for them maybe what some people thought by saying, I have learned in whatever circumstance I'm in to be content. And this is the drive of this passage today is talking about contentment, something that we all long for in our present moment. We want to be content. And that word speaking towards an inner state of peaceful happiness. Like those moments in life where we just felt at rest. Like you can think back to some of those moments, those seasons where you just felt like all was well and you were perfectly content. That is what he is speaking to. And we all want this. Like, we all want to be content with who I am, where I'm at, and what I have. But when you look at your life, you actually see far more discontentment than contentment. Each season of life can bring with it a longing for the next. Like, you can just think about scrolling social media and seeing the newest engagements and marriages and kids and people traveling the country, and it can just cause you to feel restless. Guys, literally, as I'm preparing this message, in my breaks from preparation, I just saw myself drifting to Facebook Marketplace to look at all the things that I needed. And I was like, dang it. Like, I see in my own heart 
a lack of contentment. Like, I need all these things in order for me to be at rest. And so what happens as we reflect on this idea of contentment is that we realize it's incredibly situational to us. Like, I will be content when fill in the blank. Even though there are many things that we currently have that we once said the same statement about. A job that we currently have, a possession that we currently have that we once said, if I had that thing, then I would be content. And yet we are still saying the same statement. Though we want it, we find it incredibly hard for us to grasp. We find ourselves chasing after it time and time again. Okay, so you guys all know, uh, recently had, well, seven and a half months ago, had a little girl named Zeta Bell. Um, and there's been so many joyful seasons throughout those seven months, but recently she started eating, her, eating real food, okay? So we started off with avocado, and boy, it was entertaining. Okay, so she, she sees the avocado, she's amazed by it, and she just grabs it, and she just has her eyes, like, focused on this thing, Right? And then she slaps on her other hand, and out of excitement, she's like squeezing this thing as hard as she can, and as she squeezes it, the avocado flies out of her hand, and then she brings it to her mouth, nothing there, and she's like, okay, where'd it go? What? Like, what happened? I was just looking at it, and now it's gone, right? I feel like this is like our pursuit of contentment. Like, we put so much effort and striving, and we feel like, man, we're getting there, I'm almost there, and then we sit there, and we're like, what happened? Where'd it go? And as we sit here, we realize, man, contentment isn't something that comes natural to us. Like we see time and time again how we drift towards discontentment, but some encouragement as we look back at this text, and a word that stuck out to me is in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he's saying whatever situation, so there's no strings attached to the situation that he's in. He will remain content, but also it's something that he learned, which if you spell that out, it's something that he once didn't know, and he went through the process of learning it in order to get to where he's at now. And so that gives us some grace and patience for us to be in that process of learning as well as we strive to be a people of contentment. And he later then says that he has learned the secret to being content. And Paul is going to take this whatever situation a step further by listing off a couple different scenarios. So in verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So let's focus on one set of these examples. Brought low, hunger and need. Paul is saying, I know how to be brought low in life. I know how to face those moments where my pride is crushed, where difficulty comes about, that there's actually a proper way to enter into hardship and difficulty in such a way that his contentment and joy is not robbed of him. Salt City, do you know how to be brought low? When you lose a job and you're in the seemingly endless weight of the next one, when you experience a relationship end and you're, you feel the heartbreak in that moment, when sickness shows itself in the life of a loved one, and you think back on some of those seasons, or some of you, you're in that right now. 
Do you know how to enter into those situations and not have your contentment robbed of you? Do you know how to be brought low? I think if we're honest with ourselves, when these moments hit, we aren't thinking about, man, what's the proper way for me to be brought low? We're only thinking, how do I get out of this? Right? Like, our prayer isn't, God, would you draw near to me in this season? Help me to know you more in this season. It's, God, would you hurry up and get me through this season? It's, God, why am I in this season? What's the point? And really, our prayer is, God, would you get me back to a season of life where I don't feel my desperate need for you? And maybe it's not getting out of the season, but we at least want a clear answer for why we're walking through that season. Like, what's the purpose? What's the point of this, God? Like, show me that reason, because only when you show me, then I will be content. It's not enough for us to realize that God knows all and is in control of all. We have to as well. And so in both of these, we're essentially saying, man, I need something and I actually deserve something. And then I will be at rest and peace in my soul. And when we face difficulty, I think we can often slip into an understanding of Christianity that's not true. Like we can understand Christianity as something that's void of difficulty. And we can only think that, man, blessing is the only thing that we should be experiencing. And yet the one that we're following is the one that suffered more than anyone else in history. That we look at the writings of Paul and we see time and time again that suffering has been a part of his life and it's a part of the Christian walk. And in so doing, Paul isn't saying that those things aren't hard, that those things aren't real, the emotions that we feel of hurt and loss aren't real. But Paul is speaking to a posture of heart that he is able to enter into those tragic circumstances and not lose his contentment. Next, he goes to the other extreme of this life. He says, I know how to abound, to face plenty and abundance. So Paul says that he has learned the proper way to enter into the abundant seasons of life where the gifts are just abounding and he's rejoicing. And as I sat with this, I think I realized, man, I, I don't know what it's like to be brought low. Like, I don't, I, I know I stumble, I fall flat on my face when it comes to being brought low and the challenges and difficulty, but I didn't even know that there was a way to be brought high when it comes to abundance in life. I didn't even know that there was a right way to enter into those seasons, and I think as I thought about it, it's because I have so closely linked the good seasons of life with contentment that I just assumed that I was content when I've entered into those. But Paul actually says, no, as I enter into those good seasons, it does not rob me of my contentment. He's saying that it's completely separate from those good seasons that he is entering in with contentment. And so what we see is actually the greater threat to our contentment. Because in those low moments, we realize how we lack contentment, but we are often blind to that we lack contentment in the good seasons. We don't realize that we have fixed our hope and joy on the situation before us that is going to be gone tomorrow. Whether it be financial security, 
or the newest possession that we have or the latest trip that we've gone on, we don't realize that we've actually taken our contentment off of Christ and put it on this situation that will be gone tomorrow. And so Salt City, what are the good seasons of life that you are putting your contentment in? As I came up to Minnesota from Iowa, uh, I quickly realized the craze of the cabin life, okay? Um, And here's what I've realized is that the summers are for the cabin, okay? It's about going to the cabin. It's about experiencing the rest that's at the cabin and just the zero hurry, the pace of life where you're just enjoying the day. And often we can shift contentment towards things like that. Like, man, I just need to get back to the cabin, I just need to get to the summer so we can enjoy the lakes. Then I will be content. We don't even realize that we are only placing contentment to be possible in our life with one situation at the cabin. And so time and time again, we see ourselves having contentment tied to some situation in our life. But Paul is going completely against that. He's saying whatever situation comes about, he remains content. And if that doesn't color it in for you, like whatever doesn't color it in for you, he says in any circumstance. And if that doesn't color it in for you, he says every circumstance. So he says whatever situation in any and every circumstance. Paul is speaking to a way of life that no matter what comes next, He knows that his heart will be at rest. He knows that his soul will be at peace because he will be content in whatever comes next. Can you imagine that? Like you look to the next day, you look to the next year, and you know that whatever happens, your heart will be at rest. You will be content with whatever happens. That worry would dwindle more and more because you realize that even the things that you're worrying about happen, if they did happen, you would walk in contentment. That there would be this ease that all is well, that man, it is okay even when challenges come up in life. And so as we sit with this and we see a heart posture that is always at peace with any season that comes about, we realize that the ways that this text has been misinterpreted and used for what we thought was the grand moments of life are actually moments that pale in comparison to the beauty that is actually talking about. That this is something that people from the poorest to the richest of this world long for. To feel content with who they are, where they're at, and what they have. And this is so far greater than a game-winning shot. Drew Stevenson, uh, the pastor of Salt City Church, has been a huge mentor in my life. I've kind of spent a lot of time throughout the years uh, in Iowa State, and then I transferred to Iowa and then moved up here as well. And here's something I love about Drew. And no matter whatever circumstance I've brought before him, he has calmly reminded me of the goodness of God. Like, I, I could come to him with an incredible life update, something that I'm so pumped about, and he would just say, what a gift. Man, God is so good to us. Or I could bring him some of the most challenging and difficult times. Maybe ministry is causing me to doubt God in some way. And he would just say, God is good. His grace is over your life. And just his trust and the goodness of God has caused me to be relieved and at ease 
as I draw my eyes from the situation that I've been fixing on back to the goodness of God as well. And he has been an example for me of what Paul is talking about in this passage. That no matter what season of life comes, we can be content. And as we look at this, we realize again that this doesn't come naturally to us. That this is completely opposite of the way of the world. This is completely opposite of our own heart. But Paul is saying that he learned this. And he's actually inviting us in to learn this as well with him. That we can begin experiencing more of what heaven is like. Where we will be at a constant state of rest in our soul. Saul said, do you want to learn that type of contentment? Paul invites us to gaze upon the secret that he has learned through his life by saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As we sit with this passage, we need to realize that a contentment that strives through every season of life unaffected can be found in Christ and in Christ alone. Where the misinterpretation of this passage can focus on the I of this sentence, like I can conquer this, I can motivate myself, I can work harder than someone else in order to conquer this thing, Paul focuses on the him, that it's Christ who provides the strength, that it's Christ within him that is working, that allows him to do all things. Think about that. All things that could come about in life, he realized that in every single one of those situations, he leans on the strength of Christ that is in him to focus back on the goodness of Christ. He realizes that Christ is the one who overcame the grave and and the world, that Christ is the one who said, I am with you till the end of the age, that Christ is the one who is with him, and he has access to him. He has an invitation to him to rely on his strength. Where our world would want to just rely on our own strength and muster up our own ability to conquer things, we realize when we look in on ourselves that we are weak and broken. We can't do it on our own. And so Paul looks to the goodness and the strength of Christ to remain content. He looks to the strength of Christ to be reminded and to be vividly aware of the treasure that he has in Christ. That this world is not your home. That the waves of this life cannot shake the standing you have before Christ. That Christ is the good shepherd who is with you in the mountaintop moments of life, in the darkest valleys of life. That Christ is near as a comforter who understands the pain. That Christ is sweeter than the greatest riches of this world. And that 10,000 years from now, we will be looking back as we are worshiping Christ on the throne in complete contentment. We will be looking back. And seeing how everything that happened in our life was ultimately for his glory and our good. And we will be at rest. And lastly, this text is showing us that we get to tap into a part of that now. That we actually get to take steps towards that state of contentment. That nothing can take away the treasure that you already have in Christ. The difficult seasons of loss and hurt provide our eyes the opportunity to take our eyes off of Christ and to fix them and to feel paralyzed by the situation before us. But it's the strength of Christ that draws us back to his feet. 
the good seasons of life, cause us to fix our eyes on the gifts ahead of us and to treasure those things more than Christ, but it's the strength of Christ that draws us back to a heart of thankfulness and to praise the only one that's actually worthy of our praise. And Paul is saying in this passage that we have the opportunity to learn this as well. That we have the opportunity to lean on Christ in everything, the one that is in us, and that we can not settle for far lesser things or put our hope in things that we can't trust. But we have to ask the question, why do we then spend so much time looking elsewhere? Um, something that I've learned about myself in life is that I, I don't like losing things. And I can imagine that no one in here really is like someone that, I, man, I love losing things. So I can imagine we're on the same page there. Um, but here's a scenario that happens. Okay, I lose things all the time, and it can be such a frustrating experience for me, right? Here's a scenario that happens, though. I'm like frantically in a hurry to get somewhere, and I'm grabbing all the things that I need, and I just need the keys, Okay. I just need the car keys. And so I'm frantically going from room to room. I'm going to room to room again to look for the keys. Can't find the keys. And then finally, I kind of, you know, humble my pride a little bit. I'm like, okay, Paige, do you know where the keys are? And she's like, the ones that are in your hand? Yep, yep, those are the ones. Those are the ones I'm talking about, okay? Here's what we see. We frantically look through so many different avenues of life to find contentment where Paul is saying, you have the source of contentment right there with you. It is already, Christ is already in you, that he is someone that you can access at any moment. Why would we turn anywhere else? Here is the invitation. Because Christ is in you, you are welcomed into a life of pursuing contentment in all things because Christ is greater than all things. And as I sat with this text, I felt the weight of this call. Like, man, even as I'm still like, working through this passage, I see all the ways that I'm not content. I feel the way of, man, what does it look like to be content in all things? And here's the encouragement for us in this passage. Again, that this is a trajectory of us learning what this looks like more and more in our life. That we're not going to walk away from this message being fully content, but we will learn it through every season of, of our life. And so more difficult seasons will come our way. And my prayer is that with those, we will become even more aware of our brokenness and our inability to conquer that situation, to spur on change, and that we would turn a little sooner to putting our trust back in Christ. That we would turn our trust back to him and see that he is worthy of our affection, that more joyous seasons will come. And that in those seasons, we would see that those are incredible gifts, but we would turn our eyes back to Christ and give him the thanks that he deserves for those things and realize that he is actually our ultimate treasure that we long for. And we would do that sooner than we did the time before. And all of this completely by the strength of Christ that is in us. And so again, this isn't like go from here being content. It's day by day, continue to fix your eyes on Christ. 
And the call from us is as we continue to learn this in every season of our life, as we continue to more sooner turn our eyes back to him over our lifetime, we will become more and more cemented in the firm foundation that we have in Christ. That we will become more and more the type of people that whatever comes our way, we will be at ease in our soul because we will be content in Christ. We'll be relying on the strength of Christ, not our own. And we will be the type of people like Paul that says, I learned to be content in all things. And as more seasons come about, we'll realize that we loosen our grip on this world that's in front of us. And we begin to hold on a little tighter to the one that's to come. Let's pray. Father, we we realize our need for you as we sit with a text like this. Jesus, it's you that, man, even came into this world and saw our brokenness, and you died on the cross that we could be brought in towards a life of contentment. Like our heart longs for that, but you actually provided the way for us to be satisfied in you. And yet time and time again, I I just feel the lyrics of Come Thou Found that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And we wander day after day, but I pray that by your grace, we would become the type of people that look more quickly to you again, and that you would be the anchor for us, that we would rely on your strength and not our own, that we would go from here knowing that whatever comes about in life, you are with us. However weak we feel or however however great we feel, we know that we are relying on your strength and not our own. And we want to give you all the glory for that, God. We want to be people that worship you in every season because you are worthy of our worship, because you have provided the way for us to even worship you in the first place. So God, help us continue to take the next step towards putting our trust back in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.